Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. MWWire.com, where you can find us, Matt, you know, write about expansion, write about previews, write about the other Mountain West football things. But we're talking your favorite team, Fresno State Bulldogs, in our penultimate team preview. See, I used a smart word there before we talk about Nevada next show. <laughs> Nicely done. I was trying to think, is that the right way to say it? I'm like, yes, that is. Because it's always on TV before the season finale. It's always, we have to. Yeah, don't worry. I would have corrected you. Yeah, I know. You, I, no, definitely, <laughs> did, definitely do. I knew what it was by trying. I don't. It's something you never say out loud too often. You hear it typically. Yeah, yeah. Such one of those words. I'm like, I think that's correct. So, excellent. But football it is. Fresno State. MWR.com. MWCR on Twitter, where we've gained quite a few followers the past couple weeks. So, appreciate everyone who decided to. Uh, find articles you wrote written about and Oregon state fans. You're welcome. Washington state fans come on over and see what you're missing with our stuff. That's a d- distinct possibility um, sooner than later. So we're talking about your Bulldogs, Matt Fresno States. So we are at a point in their history where Jeff Tedford's back for the second time around. He's been kicking around. They've, they've done quite well with the, the offense past couple of years. What, what do we want to what was what stands out from last year? Should we kind of always look at last year's team for like a few minutes beginning? What was any like standout that would correlate to this year from last year? Well, I mean, it's yeah, in a sense, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know? When yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite the same kind of turnaround that he had engineered back in 2017 when he took a one-win team to 10 wins and in very nearly won a conference title. But it was still pretty impressive, you know, considering that you know, September had all kinds of emotions attached to it, you know, losing the last second heartbreaker against Oregon State, and then subsequently losing Jake Hayner for a time to injury in on the road against USC. It took a little time for the team to find its footing, and, and for a couple of weeks, it looked like they were on really shaky ground, you know, especially you UConn, you could say it, it's okay. I, I didn't want to come out and explicitly say it, but yes, losing <laughs> on the road at UConn was not a particularly good look. But then they found themselves. And when Jake Hayner got healthy, the team really took it to another level. And it wasn't without a little bit of good fortune, you know, where they lost a heartbreaker against Oregon State. They also later rallied to win a shocker against San Diego State. Uh, in particular, they also had one score wins, you know, where they had to outlast both San Jose State and UNLV to get back to the title game. But then once they were there, they had a pretty convincing win on the road against Boise State and did the same in the LA Bowl against Washington State. So you look forward to 2023 and it's it's one chapter has definitely closed. Hayner is gone. Guys like Jalen Moreno, Cropper are gone. David, uh, David Prowlis is gone. 
and another chapter opens, you know, now the question becomes, you know, how well can the offense regroup and maintain what was a pretty high level of performance last year? You know, when you look at what the team was able to accomplish, I believe they were second overall among Mountain West teams by the end of last year in overall SP plus. They were right behind Air Force, 58th overall. And in terms of like net points per drive, they were also well above average. They were, uh, you know, 24th overall in terms of available yards percentage net per drive that they were 21st. So like they set a very high bar and it's going to be up to a number of new faces on both sides of the ball to maintain it. But I think at this point, you know, if you're like me, you know better than to bet too heavily against Jeff Tedford and company. Oh yeah. He like, again, his first year turnout was legit. One of the best ever in college football. Not just, not just saying that, but him, like I said, being, a terrible team. Marcus, Marcus was it? Uh, McMarion came in, mm-hmm. took a minute. Morgan State won a conference or went to conference title game. All those type of things going and doing extremely well. I, the big thing we'll get to it, but he's an offensive guy. Like we've when he's a Cal, so like Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch, those type of guys. Like running backs, uh, Justin Fields wasn't he a guy too? He had there at Cal. So we we know we're getting offense. So replacing running backs, quarterbacks top receivers, even with that, they're still projected to be a pretty good team this year because it's kind of like, oh, we've seen it before, and he'll <clears throat> a good chance he could do it again. And so that's why I think what we'll see. It's like he's a known commodity, obviously. Second time around. Usually second time around coaches don't we're not they're not good. Like John Robertson at USC or I'm trying to think of some other others. But there's a few others that they come around. It's like, ah, oh, they don't do as well round number two when they come back to the same school. And so well, and, and it's did... not it's not just him though, and I think you know based oh, on yeah. the two stints that he's had with Bulldogs, it's just as important to remember the caliber of coaches that he's brought in during that time as well. Obviously, the big name Kalen DeBoer, now the head coach at Washington, you know he you know then he elevated Kirby Moore to the job. Kirby Moore is now the offensive coordinator at, coordinator at Mizzou. And one of the questions that we got for this podcast on Twitter was what our thoughts were on Pat McCann. So before I get mine, I was curious if you had any thoughts on on Fresno State's new offensive coordinator in particular. Um, I trust what uh, Jeff Tedford does. You know what I mean? Like, what's the like? He, he wouldn't bring uh, he wouldn't bring up a coach who's like who hasn't been worth it. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not going to bring in somebody who's oh this guy's just he's. It's not Tedford like a puppet guy. He's going to bring in who he wants to come in. He who knows and comfortable and confident in what the offense is. Because I think Tedford gives a lot of trust to these guys he comes in. So I think he can do his own thing. Tedford's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a good example of what it's like. But there's some coaches who are like, think of um, a super uber defensive coach or uber offensive coach. That's what Tedford is. Where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with you. I trust you. Tedford has hit everything. But he's gonna trust this guy, and I don't think he'll overstep for what he wants, what what they're gonna do. You know what I mean? Like when they come in mm-hmm. to when Tedford gets his guys, like I want, I know what I know what you're doing. His track record is impeccable for what he's doing because he, with ah, sorry, I'm trying to pull some up here at the same time. But I trust him for what he comes in. Like he did stuff with UC Davis recently, who's a pretty good team. He's been he's a coach where, if you think about what Fresno State can do and what they've done. And Tedford, like him being receivers coach last year, like what was he the passing game coordinator last year too? Is that correct? Yes. The offense is pretty good, right? They passed the ball quite well. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so yeah. promoting a guy from within who is 
a Tedford guy wants it for passing the ball. Moreno Copper when he had like Keyshawn Johnson years ago when Tedford was there. I have I have zero issues with what he can do, and it's just only concern if there's any. It's like okay, has he called plays? Is he knowing how to run an offense at this type of level? But besides that, the the way he spread the ball around, all these different receivers getting involved with Remigio and Remitz and Moreno Copper. I think they'll be fine. They're multiple all-conference receivers. It wasn't looking around here each of the last two years. They've had all-conference receivers. So I'm like, there's no concern with Tedford. Like, you, we don't need to go out and get some other buddy or some other guy who's been an OC somewhere else. I'm going to bring a guy in who's familiar with the program and everything. And, again, Eastern Washington as well. They're pretty good. The red blood field, they score points. So there's well, that. Okay, so to, so to, to drive that like, last point home, I, you know, I'll start by saying that I love the fact that they elevated him to this position because of what he did with the Eagles in particular. He was interim OC for a time with Eastern Washington back in 2021, but yeah. he did his best work, you know, in Cheney over those three years. You know, and the one thing that stands out to me, you may recall that Eastern Washington upset UNLV in non-conference play back in 2021. And yeah. a big reason for that was their quarterback that year, Eric Barrier, who, if you don't remember the name off the top of your head, he was an All-American. He won the Walter Payton Award that year. He was the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Year that year. And, oh, by the way, Eastern Washington averaged 44 points a game and led the entire FCS in total offense. It was like 550 a game or something like that, something ridiculous. Yeah, and and obviously, like it's it's expecting that level of performance at Fresno State might be asking a, tough, a, a bit too much, but that's the kind of track record that I think that you, as a Bulldogs fan, if you're a Bulldogs fan, you can get excited about it. Even if we're going to start sort of looking at the different positions, even if replacing Jake Tainer is going to be one of the more difficult things that any coach is going to have to do in the Mountain West this year. Yeah, them losing him, top running back, top receivers. So let's start there. They have Hayner's gone with the Saints, and he's there hanging out with uh, Derek Carr. Or, so, so a couple of Fresno guys, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So what? who's going to be the quarterback? Because during fall camp, which is going on right now, you have like – you have it's probably it's going to come down to Logan Fife, who played a bit last year. Like, not great because lost to you. Condi have uh, Mikey Keene from um, oh, UC, Central Florida. And UCF, the yeah. camp right now, we're yeah, UCF. Sorry, should I say Central Florida? They get mad at me, or should I say UCF? What's the they will get mad at you, what, so uh, yes, I, you should do that. So, so I should call it Central Florida, okay? Keen from Central <laughs> Florida. Um, according to camp, like everybody, Jackson Moore talks about Fife has really improved during fall, fall camp. I think they started padded practices this week after a couple mm-hmm. actually just getting shells and everything. They're fairly similar from what I've read and what they've seen, and but we've seen. I think they'll be fine with whomever. I don't. Who do you lean toward? Is it Keen just because he played at a higher level and a, not a higher level, but played more at a better level than Fife, who's kind of seen times here and there on an injury basis with um, a Jay Kaner going out last year? So, you know, on paper, it would seem that Keen would be the more obvious choice, if only because relative to the other transfers that, that Tedford has brought in over the past handful of years. You mentioned Marcus McMarion earlier, and obviously Jake Hainer. Keen comes into this competition with more previous success as a starting quarterback at the FBS level 
than either of those two guys did. He was 8-3 and three as a starter at UCF. He has a career completion percentage you know, just above 65%, 65.6 altogether, 6.7 career yards per attempt. And if you look at pro football focus, you'll notice that like his big time throw rate last year was 7.1%. That would have been the second best rate of any quarterback in the Mountain West. So he does know how to push the ball down a field a little bit. And he is on the current roster listed at 5'11", 198. So he is very Jake Hayner-like in that regard. <laughs> but, you know, Fife, you if you moment? look a little bit closer at the numbers and if you if you sort of remember the fact that he was stepping into an extremely difficult situation, oh, replacing yeah. arguably the best quarterback in the Mountain West last year. Yeah, the first two games did not look particularly good. But once he got his feet under him, he was pretty solid in the two games that he did end up winning before handing the QB1 roll back to Hayner. Against San Jose State in New Mexico, completed over 70% of his throws, 7.6 yards per attempt. I think the one big thing that we still don't know is whether he can push the push the ball down the field as effectively as Hayner did or as effectively yeah. as Keen has proven that he could be. So because yeah, his Keen average depth to target... Is was only six point eight yards per six point eight yards per attempt, and he only had a big time throw rate of two point three percent. So, I think that he perhaps among the two still has a little bit more to prove. But I do think that if he does win the job out of fall camp, I think he he showed enough as his tenure improved last year that he probably deserves at least a, a a relatively long leash you know through which to sort of cement himself into that job especially since the non-conference schedule it's not i mean it's rigorous but it's not overly rigorous at least in, in my opinion we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later yeah well they open up at purdue which is a fine big 10 team but it's a road game it's um it's just somebody for Big Ten is a decent Big Ten team. So, yeah, we'll get to that later, how that will feel. But there's no easing into it. It's like maybe play both guys for a half or something. Well, if okay, so if the decision were yours, who would you choose? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We see people might say, oh, I want the upside or I want the guy, the mystery backup quarterback who's always the favorite person around town. And Keen did come in for Dylan Gabriel at UCF and played quite well. Five, I've seen him lose to UConn, which is not a great look. And so it's like, what am I basing off of that? And Keen's had the full offseason conditioning program. I might lead, might lean toward Keen, but whoever's going to start is going to have to figure things out quickly with new running back and new group of receivers. But I think maybe Keen, but just by a little bit. I think that I would agree. But if it does end up being Fife, like I said, I think that we would give him the benefit of the doubt just based on the coaching staff around him and, on, uh, and based in, in, at least in part on the talent around him as well. Yeah. 
So I think they'll be fine, whomever. But I, I, yeah, I think Keen's upside and more, like we mentioned, chucking the ball, playmaking down the field. I think I'd lean toward him. But either way, either quarterback, I wouldn't really have a big concern. But that's just my lean. And they're right now they're in camp, like they're pretty even. That's what guys are reporting yeah. out there. So, so what about running back? Because they replaced um, two years in a Ronnie Rivers. Jordan Mims is gone. And what what we do know what they want at running back is basically a guy who can a versatile person like running like with we go back to rivers mims was kind of similar not quite as good but still good catching the ball mm-hmm. in the backfield running the ball well rivers was a return guy the men's return kicks i forget was he a part-time return guy here and there yeah a little bit yeah so kind of a little bit so they want their running backs to be guys who can make plays and so mims was quite good but oh maybe he what people like i maybe i fell into this a little bit as well with rivers like oh rivers is really good but Mims is like a guy where he's going to be missed. He had what, what 18, 18 yard, 18 TDs, thirteen hundred yards. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be Malik Sherrod, who had under five hundred yards and a couple of touchdowns last year. They have like Elijah Gilliam is a bigger guy back there, or maybe even Damian Moore from Cal. So it's going to be probably some sort of rotation. That's my guessing. My guess. Yeah, I think. And another of the questions that we got was what kind of workload we envision for someone like Sherrod like is he going to be an every down back you know he is I think you know he's I, I forget exactly what Ronnie Rivers me- uh, measurements were but Sherrod is only listed at five foot eight and 173 pounds so I think if anything his workload I mean it might be very Ronnie Rivers like in the sense that they want to get him the ball but not necessarily by punching in between the tackles 20 times a game like if you look at Rivers's overall workload, especially when he was at his you know healthiest back in like 2018, 2019, he was never averaging more than like 12 or 14 carries per game. The trick is that, you know, in at that same time, he also had 43 receptions in 2019 and 26 in 2018. So he was very active in that element of the game as well. So I think if Sherrod had a workload like that where maybe he was carrying the ball 12 times a game, but he also caught like two or three balls as well. That would not surprise me, especially since it seems like the the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in the, in the guys behind him because they also bring back Elijah Gilliam, who, you know, small sample size, only 17 carries, but he did manage 5.9 yards per carry. Plus they also bring in Damian Moore from Cal, who, you know, again, yeah. relatively small sample size, career 160 carries, but he has also averaged five yards a carry, six total touchdowns. And they also have, you know, some youngers, youngsters rather, who could feasibly step in and, and pick up a handful of carries here and there. Guys like Ryan Workington, Jonathan Arsenault, and as it happens, another Rivers. Devin Rivers, Ronnie's younger brother, now in the program. He's a true freshman. So who knows? But I think they have enough options that they feel good about that they don't necessarily need Sherrod to be like the dude with cap, tap, capital T, capital D, if that makes sense. Because Yeah, you're right. Because even when they had Rivers and Mims, it was still mostly Rivers, but Mims got a good enough good enough run where they put two backs out there and they could both do things. Yeah. So that's something we get to as well. But it's going to be, I would, at least early on, I have a hard time thinking it'll be this one guy from day one versus, versus Purdue versus Eastern Washington versus Arizona State. I just don't think it'll be one guy. I think it'll be a couple guys out there doing their thing. And again, we tr- trust in Tedford and there's, there'll be some drop off. Like there was some rivers to Mims a little bit, but not a ton. 
it'll just take a guy who have a guy get a thousand yards rushing, which I think is probably a good a good goal to get. May close to a thousand because there's only so seven players last year, six players who got a thousand yards in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. And so a thousand a thousand yards would be quite good. But I think maybe it's a bit ambitious, but would eight hundred be okay? Would that be reasonable for your starting back for Fresno State? That puts you top fifth, top twelve in the conference, basically from last year, top eleven actually. Yeah, I would take that. I think in this offense, that's a re- realistic goal for a starting running back. Because you look at this past year of thirteen hundred yards, you look at Ronnie mm-hmm. Rivers the year before he had actually only seven eighty eight, but he was recept re- caught the ball. But also when they had Mims hit them, those two combined for fifteen hundred. So I think if your main guy gets about eight hundred, like Rivers his last year, which looks underwhelming compared to what Mims did, which is wild. Seven eighty eight for five TDs and Mims mm-hmm. had thirteen hundred yards last year. He was wild. It's like arguably he was I know how much run we gave Rod Roberts. He's that good. Jordan Mims was right neck and neck with him. He just didn't run like fewer carries, but he's still four hundred yards behind about, but his neck and neck mm-hmm. for more hit more touchdowns, better yards per play. So he was legit one of the best running back top two in the conference, obviously. So that's a big, big hold replace. But I just, uh, I trust it. it. I don't think there'll be that much. I think there'll be more of a 2021 than 2022 for the top running back. And that'd still be uh, quite good. And, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, replacing quarterback, replacing wide, uh, running back. But honestly, replacing so many wide receivers is yeah. probably the biggest mystery. On, on this yeah. offense, because you know, I mentioned Jalen Moreno Cropper, he's gone, but uh, so is Nico Remigio mm-hmm. and Zane Pope and Mims and tight end Raymond Pauls Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh Kelly is at Washington State now. Um, so you're talking about you know a number of guys like one, two, three, four, five, like a half dozen by my count, um, plus maybe one or two more who had at least 10 targets for this team last year that are now gone. And so beyond Eric Brooks, who should have, you know, I would imagine have the slot position down pat. Very clearly team's leading receiver, 37 catches, 391 yards and three touchdowns last year. Who's going to step up next to him? That's sort of an open question. And and the the story behind this particular unit, I think, is that there are a lot of very interesting options. It's just a matter of trying to identify who else is going to, you know, I think primarily who's going to start outside. And then of that group, like which one is likely to be like the next Marino Cropper type. Yeah. There's a lot of young guys, a couple of freshmen, like reading what, um, just cause camps under going to underway and reading what people are going, mm-hmm. like everybody checks the morgue. And like, he's talking about, how retro freshman Jalen Moss was getting first team reps in front of um, Freeman there. So you have that. And, so and, and as a reminder, he was, he was our staff's pick as the mountain West preseason freshman in the year. Jalen Moss was, he was. See, look at that. And then also you have like uh Nathan Acevedo small. He could be the outside guy, five ten one seventy, but it's going to be a lot of retro freshman, young guys who come out to step up. So maybe it is Jalen there and he has a big year. It's going to be, it's just hard to like, I'm, Looking at my win loss record, I'm surprised what I ended up with because of how much to replace. Like this is legit brand new offense. Like they're losing. Like I don't. I don't. I should look it up real quick. Bill C's like returning production. You have to be one of the worst in the country in offense. Just well, or not worst, I think but it's the lowest important. amount. It's important to keep in mind that like yeah, they they are losing a lot of guys, but it's not like the cupboard is totally bare. I mean, because one, they've they've been 
fairly adept at utilizing the transfer portal to fill holes here and there on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, at the same time, you know, they do have a few old hands that are back for 2023. So like, you know, Magdalena, Eric Brooks, like I mentioned earlier, Emery Edwards, longtime veteran, all three of those guys are back. All three guys know the system. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, they brought in so many new transfers in addition to the young guys, like you mentioned, Moss is one of them, but they have like this Juco trio of, of artist Cole who averaged 14 and a half yards per catch at uh, Glendale city college, you know, Antoine Sullivan, Antoine Sullivan, Tim Greer, all three of those guys, excuse me, it was Antoine Sullivan who averaged 14.5 yards per catch. I apologize at San Diego Mesa. It's okay. But you know, you have that trio in, and then you also have, you know, players with power five experience like Jalen Gill, who, uh, if memory serves, he went for, you know, he had 80 catches for over a thousand yards in three seasons at Boston College. Michael Barkley had a lot of playing time for Toledo last year. He had 22 catches for the Rockets. So they have a number of options at their disposal. And it wouldn't shock me if in, you know, when all was said and done, that, you know, at least one guy from each of these three sort of disparate groups ended up being sort of that core group that steps up and ends up with the most production. But you know, when we did the when we did the voting for the preseason freshman year, I was kind of surprised that Moss ended up being a collective favorite. But you know, the more I the more I've looked into him, the more video I've seen, the more I've heard about him from both spring and fall camp. Pretty good. You know, if you're looking for a breakout candidate on this on this roster, or at least among this uh, this part of the roster, he might be it. I'm starting to I'm starting to come around on it. That would be that's what they need. They need somebody to step in, step in, and step out right away. So if it's him, that's better for them. But it's going to be anyone's game who could step up and play because there's they can mention a couple guys coming back, but the the key players are gone, and they're gonna they're gonna have opportunities for somebody to make a name for themselves. And this offense, mm-hmm. what we know from Tedford, if you're the number receiver, number running back, you're going to be in contention for an all Mountain West position too. Yeah. So what about the offensive line? Because, oh, I did look up, sorry, let me, I did find they are returning 48% of their offensive production from last year, 112th in the country. Yeah, they they do have seven different players back who had at least one start last year. And I think for the most part, you if you, if you look at the numbers, they were mostly fine. Like they, they weren't like an active negative in the same way that like some other offensive lines were, but I don't know that we would necessarily call them elite. And, you know, the way that I, that I sort of think about that is I look at the, the time that Jay Kaner had to drop back to throw and I'm trying to find, now I can't find the numbers. I apologize, but I remember that it was not necessarily like all that much time that he had you know, relative to other quarterbacks in the conference. And so I'm, I do think that that is something that the offensive line will need to improve upon. You know, if you're looking for a sort of a shorthand for what I'm talking about, just keep in mind that despite the fact that they gave up a stuff rate of 14.4%, that was 23rd in the country. They were also above average in terms of opening running lanes for their running backs, 50.9% opportunity rate, which was 38th in the country. But they also allowed a sack rate of 7.1%. And that was a little bit below average, 84th overall among FBS teams. So there is definitely room for improvement, even despite the fact that they are bringing up, or bringing back rather, 
so much experience. You know, they do have to replace their starting center, Bulo Schmidt, who transferred to UCF. There was talk in the spring that Jacob Spomer, who spent all of last year at left tackle, by, might make that switch. But I think if if you're looking for reassurance as, as a member of the Red Wave, again, I think it mostly comes down to the fact that they do have a ton of experience coming back. Because um, Mosea Babao is back. I know he got some all-conference consideration last year. Jacob Isaiah is back. Tyrone Sampson's back. Osmar Velez is back. That's four guards right there that had at least 200 snaps last year. That's a pretty good start. And I think yeah, the, that the main turnover is, you know, finding at least one new starter at tackle, like especially if Spomer ends up moving inside. But, you know, Braylon Nelson is back, and they did bring in a couple of interesting transfers through the portal. And they brought in Campbell McCard from Oregon State, Kingsley Ugu from Kansas State. So again, I think that they feel pretty good about it overall. And I think if you're a Fresno State fan, you can expect this unit to be a little bit better just in terms of continuity. And that'll help because new look at the other new positions, your quarterback, your running back, your receiver, newish quarterback, depending who's out there. And mm-hmm. it all starts there. It's like it's simply a block, you're good, help everything else out. But if I'm going to pick an area that I want the more experience, that's probably where you want it to be because – We've mentioned a million times, like how good is Air Force offensive line when they're all healthy out there? And then we've seen Boise State the past couple of years where they do six lineups in nine games and they, it doesn't go well. So having the experience there will just make every make everybody's job that much easier. And, and this is a good thing to have. Like, yeah, replacing Nicky Ormizio, Jordan Mintz, Jay Kaner. It's a lot of guys to replace skill position. But I have your offensive line where you have multiple players who started at least one game last year, plus transfers coming in who've had experience or at least a, minimum practice experience and maybe get some a little bit better competition, but de- depending where they come from, I'll take it for this team. That's what, that's a good place to start. If I want my experience back, that's one of the, one, a good spot to have it with replacing everything else. So mm-hmm. potential Mountain West, all Mountain West guys on here. And so I think they'll be good. I think it'll be a unit that'll help set the tone for the offense. So what about the defense? Well, as we know, Jeff Tefford's not a defensive coach, but that's okay. We can forgive him for that, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> he just outscored all the points. Um, but actually, it's really good. I can't, jokes aside, defense is really good, and it could be. Do we dare? Maybe, possibly, despite losing players in the portal, better than last year. It could be special if they can There's- hold on to the gains that they've made as the season progressed last year. Because there's little doubt that they really got pushed by some of the stronger opponents that they faced, especially early in the season. Like if you look at the three, State, yeah, tough. Yeah, if you look at the three games they played against Oregon State, uh, USC, and Boise State between you know the mid, the beginning of the season in October, you know those were the three games that they gave up over six yards per play. So it wasn't great against strong offenses. And you know you do have to couch it a little bit. You have to acknowledge a little bit of context to that the. Uh, the quality of competition definitely lightened up in the second half of the year. You know, if you if you sort of look at it week from week, starting with the New Mexico game in mid-October, you know, they got pushed the week after that against San Diego State. They gave up over seven yards per play. But then, you know, in the second half of the year, they got to face Hawaii. They got to face Nevada. They got to face Wyoming. But then, to their credit, stiffened up considerably on the road against the Broncos in the championship game and then did what you would expect them to do against a limited Washington State team in the bowl game. So when you look at that 
4.6 yards per play that they allowed in the last six games of the year, you know, that's a that's an exceedingly high bar to clear. But, you know, this is still a defense that on the season finished in the top 50 by both stop rate and sack rate allowed. And I think that even if they regress a little bit, it's still a defense that could be very good. But I think if you're if you're looking for one pressing question that is going to have to get figured out one way or another, they have to figure out what the pass rush is going to look like without David Prowlis. That's yeah, going to be critical. Legit. One of the best players in the conference. Very, very good. So yeah, the, they had um, got to come from somewhere because he had 11 and a half sacks out of the 30 last year. Um, could it be Johnny Hudson, who's a gigantic 300 pounder. <laughs> Diva Bridges. I was, I was, you know what? And he was sort of someone I had my eye on last year. I can't remember if I mentioned him explicitly uh, on the podcast, but I do, but I do think you're right. You know, he, he's part of the of an interior trio that got plenty of experience last year between he and, and Debo Bridges, who. I was going to add is the only player coming back from last year's defense who had more than one, had more than two sacks. But, you know, between that duo plus Gabriel Lightfoot, who before he got banged up was starting games as a true freshman, which really says something. You know, that trio, I think, will be able to hold down the interior. So then the question becomes, well, Paralysis was an ace edge rusher. Who's going to step up to replace him on the outside? And again, yeah, I do think that they they have some options. Like you know, Isaiah Johnson, for instance, has been in this program for ages now. Um, <laughs> I know. You know five career sacks, but you know, forty two career games. That's all I'm saying. He's been around for a while. He stepped away for a while. Came back, played all of last year as a redshirt senior. So like, he's an option. He's had moments in the past. But to me, I think it's it's the newer names, like especially the guys who've come into the program through the transfer portal, that are going to be extremely critical i think in leading this charge and i'm thinking particularly about guys like ezra christensen who had seven sacks last year at san diego mesa college in the juco ranks or a guy like kamari munir bailey who came in from idaho put up a pff grade of 80.4 and and led the led idaho with five sacks and eight tfls despite playing fewer than 300 snaps altogether yeah, it's. I think we're going to be nitpicking the defense here because it'll be multiple guys to take over for Prowlis and the edge rushers. Mm-hmm. Um, because linebackers should be legit. They bring back like Leville Bell, the leading tackler last year with 88 tackles. Malachi Langley is really good, does pretty much everything you want to ask for a linebacker. So I think, I don't think replacing Prowlis, like they want the threats of that position, but maybe the production comes from a little bit, a few different places this year. Maybe that could be a legit possibility because they're replacing an all-timer. And well, maybe like we mentioned, Hudson will be the guy, the giant guy at the tackle. He'll just kind of take up speed up face and push people around. Like Vince Wolf Wolfrick used to do NFL forever, a giant dude who would just push push people around and help everybody else be bigger and better and make plays. I yeah, just, and linebacker, so- if everybody's if everybody stays healthy, linebacker could also be pretty deep as well. Because I, I, you know, they were. I know they were counting upon Raymond Scott for a little more than they ended up getting from him last year. Only played in four games because he got banged up. Um, but if you know, if he can stay healthy, that's only going to make this unit a little bit better. And then here too, you know, you got young guys like Phoenix Jackson, Tyler Mello, who could feasibly step up and and you know get onto the field when when either Bailey or Langley need a breather. 
They also brought in Tua C.B. Nomura from USC. So they've got, I think, a number of options here, too, that they feel pretty confident can step in and, and make a difference in terms of like you know, being able to step up and defend the run, but also make a play here or there in the passing game. That's what they'll need. Like, when we look at who they're playing, like, not to get too close to schedule, Purdue replaces a quarterback, but they pass a lot. East Washington moves the ball, scores points. ASU should have the same thing. They got uh, Cooper Lagarde, Utah State, Boise State, San Jose State. You know what I mean? Like, there's some areas yeah. where they're going to be challenged. Wyoming, Nevada, not as much. Kent State, well, we'll see. But there's enough well, out there was... where they're going to be tested. And I was going to say, you know, to that point, you know, I do want to mention that you know, both Bailey and Langley in particular, were pretty active in that regard. Like one thing that this team did very well last year, they had 78 pass breakups as a defense, which was far and away number one in the conference. Like it was not close. I believe the number two team had like 54. Yeah. And and ba- both Bailey and Langley were a pretty substantial part of that. Like Langley had two interceptions and Bailey had seven pass breakups. So you know, in addition to the eight combined TFLs that duo had, you know, that's a tandem in the middle of your defense that can do a little bit of everything. That's mm-hmm. not easy to come by. No, it's not. And like, the, again, that could be their best position of the year. So I, I they have the depth there. And I mean, I don't know it, if I would agree. Well, but that's Campbell, only because well, second, that's only because <laughs> Campbell Lockridge is back. Secondary. The secondary could be awesome. <laughs> it's all going to be awesome. Like Campbell Lockridge somehow left off the preseason all conference lists for a player. Of the yeah, year I don't understand coaches. that at all. Like when we yeah. did, like when we did our staff vote for the all conference teams, Lockridge was my defensive player of the year pick. Nine pass breakups what? last year, three tackles for loss, five, five interceptions. He, he was as good as advertised coming over from Hawaii. He was. Wasn't he my Dark Horse conference, some sort of MVP or something at some point last year? And I mean, probably, yeah. Snickered at me at some point, I forget. I mean, like, but, let's put it this way. Like, when you look at the, you know his his target share that he faced last year, you had, he was 40, uh, 56 targets, which was number one on the team, but he only allowed 23 receptions. It's 41%. Yeah. So like he was very adept at getting hands on the football and that's, you know, and he granted he wasn't the only one in this unit that was able to do that. Like just about everybody proved able to get their hands on the football. Like Maurice Norris, for example, who stepped up as in that nickelback position, six pass breakups, eight tackles for loss among 57 total tackles. And then if you're looking for like someone who might break out and and have a, a an all conference season himself, Keep an eye on Carlton Johnson. Only seven games last year. But he did rack up six TFLs and six, six pass breakups in that time. And and with Braylon Lux and Kale Sanders Jr. both gone through the transfer portal, I have to expect that he is probably going to be a guy lined up opposite Lockridge. That duo could be pretty easily the best cornerback duo anywhere in the conference if everything goes their way. And they play up to yeah. their potential. Yeah, this defense, like it's gonna be I think it's gonna be the best defense in the conference. It's gonna be I think high. if there's I was gonna say What's if there's your... one potential question, they do have quite a bit of turnover at safety in particular. Yeah. 
because you know LJ Early is gone, Elijah Gates is gone, Evan Williams transferred to Oregon. Um, you know, so that's like three guys right there that made up most of the snaps that that this position had last year. But even here, you know, they do have at least a couple of veterans back: Stephen Comstock, Krishan Gordon. You know, both of whom have plenty of experience, and. They also brought in like someone like Dean Clark, who was a former team captain at Kent State, 34 career games there, you know, was part of a winning program out there in the MAC. So I think I would call that maybe more of a yellow flag than anything. Yeah. Whatever yes, think... with everything else they have going on, it's if it's if it's a possible issue, <laughs> it'll be covered up quite easy, quite easy. Yeah, I was gonna say, all things considered, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Defense could be legit, and so we'll see what happens. So what about special teams? What do they have coming back for that area? Well, I think the major question is, you know, what's going to happen with the return game, you know, now that Mims yeah. is gone. But they don't necessarily have one guy, I think, who is likely to take on the mantle. Between Mims, you know, and Remigio, of course, handled a lot of those duties last year yeah. as well. He's gone as well. So it's really hard to say, but Sherrod, I think, is at least one leading option who could take on at least some of that role averaged over tw- uh, almost 22 yards per kick return last year. Yeah, pun- uh, Carson King at punter is fine. I think the major question too, is you, what's going to happen with the kicker position because both Abraham Montano and uh, Dylan Lynch are both back. And at least one of those guys, Montano caused a little bit of angst with um, some I mean, I, I hesitate to say relatively easy easy misses because college kicking is not easy to do. But you know, from within thirty yards last year, he missed, if my math is correct, four different kicks, and was only one of four from forty or beyond. And he had a, a long of forty three, and so it, it's tempting to think that you know Dylan Lynch might be the better option, especially since he was six of seven in the time where he had the starting role very briefly. But he only had one attempt of over 40 yards. So we don't necessarily know which of them necessarily has the longer range on their kicks. And so if if there's uncertainty at the position, it could make the Bulldogs feel more inclined to push the envelope and keep the offense on the field on critical fourth down situations. It could be. I got one step for, for you from last year. Punt return average. Okay. Fresno State averaged 19.92 yards per punt return. Opponents only seven point seven five. Who knows if they'll be. I'm going to say that's skewed a little bit though because of that yeah, magic punt return that Remigio had against UConn. I don't care. It counts. It all counts. Okay. No, I get what you're saying. I I'm won't saying, argue that. But that's a that's a twelve yard difference, and so that's combination of everything. But then again, they're, they're changing the returner for the past couple of years, and so I just saw that stat here over it with a CFN. I'm like, oh, that's a good thing, good one to bring up. So that was a. Hey, a 12 yard swing, that's that's huge. Yeah. So who obviously that replicate, who knows, but that's just something I noted. We I was pointing out to me right here, so I thought I'd bring it up. Is Ready it schedule time? Yes, it is schedule time. It's my favorite part of the show. Making picks and being right, hopefully it. right. You mentioned a non-conference schedule. It's um not easy. At Purdue. It's not the most difficult schedule out there this year. Yeah, it's it's good. I like it. It's manageable. I think. Yep. Yeah, they go to Purdue. They host Easter Washington, who we discussed before, who will be a, a challenging game at Arizona State, who's still kind of rebuilding with Kenny Dillingham there. 
and then Kent State at home, and Max going to Kent State's usually solid. So let's start with Purdue. It's on the road, early kickoff. Um, the biggest thing about Purdue, they lose the starting quarterback from last year, who is now with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and Aiden O'Connell. They lost a lot, though. Well, I know. I just, I'm just starting at the quarterback position. Okay. And he was fine. Like 22 TDs, 39 TDs. It was, oh, wasn't, he was good, not great. Um, yeah, they, they losing a lot of, that's why I'm leaning toward Fresno on this one because they lose the starting quarterback. They do return Devin Mockaby at running back, which is pretty good at about a thousand yards last year. So they do at least bring him back. But what else they lose, Matt? What else is a concern for Purdue, the Boilermakers? Well, I believe Purdue had five different NFL draft picks last year. You mentioned Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback is gone. They're also losing their top two wide, their top two pass catchers, rather. Wide receiver Charlie Jones, tight end Payne Durham. Both of those guys are gone. And oh, by the way, uh, their head coach from last year, Jeff Brom, now at Louisville. Louisville. So they are starting a new chapter of more ways than one, but they are still an interesting team because they replaced Brom with Ryan Walters. And, and if the name doesn't sound familiar to you, you may recall last year's Wyoming-Illinois game, the season opener that they, that those two teams played. Shocker. Last year, Walters was the, the defensive coordinator under Brett Bielema at Illinois. And they were awesome in his two-year tenure there. You know, last two seasons by defensive SP+, 19th and third overall in the country on that side of the ball. And, and the, you know, when you mentioned Mockaby, they do have him returning. They also brought in Hudson Card, who is generally considered one of the top transfer quarterbacks in this year's portal, former four-star recruit from Texas. Texas, that's what only I was made, of Texas. Yeah, only made five starts, but he did appear in 22 games over three years. Even though he never quite held on to the starting job for all that long against Casey Thompson and Quinn Ears and guys like that. But for his career... In roughly 200 career attempts, 65% completion rate, 11 touchdowns, 1% INT rate. So, like, he's got some talent. And they do have, you know, a couple of nice pieces on defense as well. The one guy that they're very high on that I think is worth keeping an eye on is Nick Scourton. You know, was, a, I believe, a freshman last year, sophomore now. Limited playing time, but he did have 11 stops, according to Pro Football Focus, on about 250 snaps. But I do think overall that the Boilermakers do have like a ton to replace. So I do think it'll definitely be a competitive game between these two teams. But on paper, I like Fresno State to win this game on the road and start 1-0. I do as well because, yeah, they bring Hudson Carter's experience, but losing all those top guys and going up against a, a good defense. That's why I see FPI 78% for Purdue. That seems ridiculously Interesting. ridiculous out, out of line. I know Fresno loses a lot, loses a ton as well on the other side of the ball. So there's there's a concern there. But I think trust in Tedford, consistency coaching staff, defense that'll be legit. If Fresno State's offense takes a step back and scores 26, 24 points, they can win this game 24-17. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to Fresno State for the first victory of the year. Then they uh, come back home and take on Eastern Washington, the order the is it their official nickname, the Eagles, right? That's correct. They're not put in the blood field, but what's the FCS minute we have for the uh, this amazing football team up in the Pacific Northwest? So we mentioned them a little bit earlier with reference to Pat McCann, their former offensive coordinator. Uh, Eagles fell in hard times last year, actually. Only finished 3-8, and eight, which was the program's first losing season. Do you want to take a guess? Do you know that off the top of your head? 
since 1994. Not quite, but it was their first losing season since 2006. Okay, I just went way back, so. And, you know, a lot of the problems with last year's team, which I think is going to be a challenge for them to try to fix this year, is the fact that they gave up way too much ground on defense. You know, among all FCS teams, they gave up 6.92 yards per play. That was the second most of any team on that level. And they also have to replace, you know, some of their top defensive players on that side of the ball, including like Mitchell Johnson. So they only have a couple of players returning on that side of the ball, Matthew Brown and Brock Harrison, who had more than two sacks. So it's it's a similar kind of challenge that we talked about with the Bulldogs themselves. And they're also sort of breaking in a new quarterback as well. That is, I would say, relatively unproven in Kikoa Vesperis. He does have some nice pieces at his disposal. You know, Efton Chisholm, their top target, was an all-conference you know, uh, member last year. He had over 1,000 all-purpose yards. He's back. Their tight end, Blake Goble, is back. So they might be a decent candidate to bounce back and be reasonably competitive in the big sky this fall. But again, Fresno State should not lose this game. I've got them winning it. It should win, too. Also, I was just checking the preseason poll. Eastern Washington, nowhere to be seen. Not even receiving votes. So they're not what they've been the past couple of years. Or even the past while. So 2-0. And then they take on Arizona State on the road. Um, Kenny Dillingham, the head coach there. Arizona State, um, they're in a weird spot, kind of. Just because of her Edwards gone recently and all their recruiting stuff. Did you like wait, did you hear what their AD said the other day about being in the Big Twelve now? About how he's not going to West Virginia? Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna send my deputy AD to go out to West Oregon town. That's a shame. I hear it's nice out there. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're not better than that. Arizona State, I I think they they're still gonna pro- why are they finishing the pack? So I'm trying to think preseason. They were three and nine last year. Yeah, they weren't good last year. I was trying to think of something else real quick. I don't recall what it was. I was trying to – yeah, they weren't good. They might actually be – here's what we're thinking. Like, I think Arizona's going to be better than them this year. The only team I think worse than the whole Pac-12 might be Colorado. If Cal – well, Cal, Stanford, and Colorado are going to be pretty bad. I think they're sitting in that 8-9 spot in the conference. And while I think they have some potential with the um, quarterbacks coming in because they might have the – uh who is the guy supposed to go? Delorean? Oh, shoot. He was supposed to go to Florida. The NI, NI, Are you talking NI about Jaden Rashada? Jaden Rashada. I was thinking Delorean. I'm not sure. So like he potentially could be in the mix to do some things there, but I still think they're a year away from being to what they think they should be just because they, of I mean, staff turnover. It's, they, were, they were just bad last year. Just a quarterback. They've got like four dudes who could reasonably win the job. Yeah, that's not good at this point when we're two weeks away. Because it, it hasn't received quite the same amount of buzz as Colorado's turnover has. But Arizona has turned over a lot on both sides of the ball. Like just a quarterback, for example, they brought in Drew Pine, transferred from Notre Dame. They, you know, they have their holdover from last year, Trenton Bourget, who was the starter for most of the second half of the season. He's back. They also brought in Jacob Conover. And then you mentioned Rashada. So Jacob like, Conover, you know, and he's he, not gonna. He no, he he's a BYU. He's no, no chance. I know his high school coach is dealing him before. I'm like, no, there's no chance he's starting. If he does, there's big okay. problems. I'm well, just I'll take your word on that then. And I will add that they also brought in Cameron Scadabo from Sacramento State. He had over 1,250 yards rushing last year with the Hornets. 
he's probably going to be their lead back. They've got at least one really good receiver in Elijah Badger, 866 yards and seven touchdowns last year. He's back. They also have their tight end Jalen Conyers, 38 catches, 422 yards and five touchdowns. And they also brought in Xavier Guillory, you know, Idaho State's top receiver from last year. He averaged 15 yards per catch at the FCS level. And they also brought in some familiar names too. Like, you know, their their starting center might be former UNLV player, Leif Beltanu. They also brought in Aaron Frost, who might start at one of their tackle positions from Nevada. So it's it's a really interesting mix. I think the big question is, you know, what exactly is the defense going to look like? Because, you know, on paper, I believe they're only returning four or five starters from last year. So while they have a number of transfer portal imports on that side of the ball too, like they brought in Juwan Mitchell from Tennessee, um, you know, Tristan Monday at Wisconsin, from Wisconsin, guys like that. There's not a lot of proven entities on that side of the ball. And so it's sort of an open question of whether or not they're going to be able to stop anybody. And if you look at what their numbers were from last year, you know, on defense, it was one of the worst, it was one of the worst units in the country. Like in terms of points per drive allowed, they were 127th out of 131 teams. And if it's not much better this time around, even on the road, Fresno State should win this game. And I think that they will. I don't know what to do because I think Fresno State's going to win as well. And I'm, people are not, people, I don't know what to deal with that. I also, it should be noted, they, did you mention, um, sorry, I was looking up something about the receiver that Jake Smith has not got denied his eligibility today or yesterday. I did not see that. So it just came out. He's one of the guys, you know, the North Carolina receiver. Mm-hmm. It's the thing, oh, you haven't graduated through third school. So it was apparently earlier today, and this is over at ArizonaSports.com, that his uh, he's denied because it's his third school and has not graduated. So mm-hmm. he went to Texas and USC. And so he's expected to be, a uh, pretty uh, a, a player to come into play instantly to do to to be a good player for if I could speak the wide receiver group. Yeah. So yeah, that's not good either. So I guess I'm going with Fresno to be three and zero. Then they take on Kent State in a MAC versus Mountain West matchup the following week at a Bulldog Stadium there. Hmm. So man, I I'm afraid to keep picking victories, Matt. I don't think this is a good thing for me if I keep having Fresno State win games. <laughs> Okay, well, here's the thing about the golden flashes. Maybe this will help you feel better. Did I pick a loss for him? Is that what you're telling me now? <laughs> no, 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 no. Kent State this year is the goal is the poster program for teams that got absolutely gutted by the transfer portal. That's how the MAC teams usually are. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's 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 rough. Like, did you like? Do you know how much returning production they have coming back this year? No, but I think they lost their head coach to be the OC at Colorado. Sean Lewis. That's true. Sean Lewis is gone. They replaced him with Kenny Burns, who I believe was the running backs coach at Minnesota or Indiana. Excuse, yeah. No. No, what's his He's with PJ Fleck. That's right. But the Flash is returning just Minnesota. 29% of last year's production. Oh, that's worse than Fresno State. Their quarterback transferred to UCLA from last year. Cup off what's their line top, their top receiver transferred yeah. to Penn State. Like they, they just they have lost so much to just graduations and everything else. And there aren't a lot of proven entities ready to replace them. Like they're 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 replacing their top three rushers, the starting quarterback, their top three receivers, the top three tacklers. 
like if you're looking for some names to keep an eye on, like CJ West is a, is a longtime sort of sturdy veteran on the interior of that defensive line. Last year, he had uh, four and a half tackles for loss in, in 26 total tackles and 10 starts. But around him, it's sort of an open question of just like who's going to do what, because there's so many youngsters that could potentially step up into key positions. A quarterback position, for example, could be a competition between like, you know, retro freshman like Tommy Ulatowski versus someone like a Michigan transfer, Michael Alamo, Devin Cardman, sophomore is back on the roster. Honestly, like given the hits that Kent State has taken, oh, we did, and we mentioned Dean Clark earlier. He was another one of those transfers out. Um, and the quarterback. And the quarterback. Yeah. This is, like again, Fresno State should chill. win this game and they should win this game going away. So let me ask you a quick question. Fresno State got a few votes in the coaches poll the other day. If they start 4 0, will they be ranked before or after the Arizona? Will they be ranked after non conference play or can they be ranked after they beat Arizona State at 3 0? I think knowing the mindset of the average voter, it's going to take a little no. while for them to be ranked. But I don't think that the average voter is correct about that. Should Fresno State be ranked right now? I think they should merit more consideration than they have received at large. I believe they were 36th overall in the coaches poll, right? Uh, they got like 19. Them and Boise State were right by. It's like also like receiving votes. They should have been closer yeah. to the top 25. That's what I'm saying overall. That's why I, th- I think people are scared off by the offensive production gone. Then we get to league play. So here's their home slate. Nevada, UNLV, Boise State, New Mexico. Pretty, very manageable. Boise State clearly the toughest of that group. Um, And then road slate at Wyoming, at Utah State, back-to-back, at San Jose State, at San Diego State. So the road slate's very difficult. Very difficult. So... Is it just say that we will talk Nevada next week because our our next show, they're our final preview. But I don't think they'll have any issue with Nevada at home. There's Nevada still worried, working about a quarterback. They lost your favorite player ever, Matt and Don Peterson. He's gone. There's an experienced running back mm-hmm. in that Toyota Talis. That is a lot. And Ken Wilson is still trying to do his thing there. But I don't think Nevada can do much of anything in resistance or pushing around the defense. It's supposed to be legit when Wolfpacker is still like, who's our quarterback? Ellinger, who, who who do we got back there? I don't know. Nate Cox is gone, right? Carson Strong's been gone for a minute. Nobody's walking through the door from years ago. But it's going to be, I think it'll be a very, a quite easy victory for Fresno State. Yeah, I would agree. So what about this next stretch, the Wyoming at Utah State? Wyoming, I predicted them seven and five. I'm not super happy about it, but part of it was their stretch of schedule that Wyoming has. That's why a couple losses come in in a pretty tough non-conference slate. This it's going to be I, – I like the Purdue games because of the Big Ten team, but this is the first game I'm like, I, this will really test what Fresno State can be because defensively they'll be fine. I don't expect a ton out of Wyoming's offense because nobody really does until they prove it to me besides their running game. Quarterback is experienced there, obviously, with um, – oh, shoot, I'm thinking of the – Andrew Peasley. I'm trying to think of the Utah State guys. Sorry, Peasley's a QB there. Right? Wait. Wait, am I mixing yes. them up? Wait. Is that correct? No. Andrew Peasley at Wyoming? Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of the guy who went to Utah State from Wyoming. I was like, wait, I, I second-guessed myself. Like, wait, You're no, thinking of Levi Williams. Yeah, for some reason, I'm like, wait a second. And that little thought, like, no. But they do have experience can be clearly. And we talked about that, I think, above like 60%. But this game, I'm wondering, at this point, we should know what the Fresno offense is, if it's keen, if it's, how's the run, if the running backs a committee, and what, if new 
like Jalen Moss going to step up wide receiver to be that guy. I predict a win, but it's going to be a very difficult victory if they're going to get it done. I just this will be this will arguably their this is probably what top three toughest games on the year could be their most difficult non-conference game because it's on the road or conference game excuse me in my opinion wyoming is the answer to the question which defenses are most likely to stop this fresno state offense this year this is the first one on the list right because the one thing i think about is that cowboys pass rush which I am personally very high on. And I think, you know, they are both deep and dangerous. And if Fresno State's offense sublime can't improve from last year, it could look like a, a lot of those, you know, early season games where like, even if the Cowboys offense is like stuck in neutral or whatever the case might be, the Cowboys are good enough on that side of the ball, I think, or they could be good enough to win like a 14 to 13 game. Or, or, you know, to steal a game at home in the similar kind of way that they did against Air Force last year, where yeah. nobody expected them to win that game. I think a lot of people, you and I included, expected the Falcons to go in there and win relatively comfortably. Yeah. And so I do think it, it like it may take a C minus performance on, on the offensive side of the ball for, for Wyoming to be able to steal that one at home. And I worry about Fresno State's ability to hold up against the pass rush, even despite the experience they have coming back, mm-hmm. which is why if you listen to our Wyoming podcast, you already know that I penciled this one down as a Bulldogs loss. I have a win. I have Fresno State 6-0 and at this point. I'm, I'm again, I'm, people are going to like me, but I'm like, I'm just, oh, what am I doing here? They play Utah State next week on the road. Utah State's a weird, they're just, We've talked about in our, our other preview. Besides having a good quarterback, they have Ike Larson, great secondary, which that could be kind of a big difference for with him back there going up against the receiving group that's, at this point, they're all played a handful of games are good. But it'll be one of the first times outside of Wyoming where they probably line up against a really good guy in secondary that that caliber. They've experienced QB, obviously, Cooper Legault, but they replaced running backs. They replaced, I say it every week when they play Utah State, half the team went to BYU or the Big 12. So, and Blake Anderson... Again, I don't think he'll be around next year, regardless if he does good or not good. But I know it's on the road, but I just don't see Utah State being able to keep have enough pieces to keep up with Fresno State, especially the offense. Like it was so hard. it's hard to relate last year because we saw them play Alabama get their butt kicked, obviously. Weber State was a surprise. But that second half was they turned it around quite well. And so there is stuff that Utah State could show, but I just don't I think Fresno is, is more capable defensively to slow down what you just think it throw at them. Honestly, though, I do think that the season is going to be made or broken on the two-game homestand that follows that. At home Are against UNLV, be... at home against Boise State. I know you like UNLV, but they're going to beat UNLV. You say that, I do, but you I know, forget but that the, the, last two year, the last two years, they've been one-score results, and UNLV has held late leads in both of those games. Yeah, but who won? I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that they I'm just saying that they have played the Bulldogs particularly <laughs> tough over the last couple of years. And I will note too that, like, you know, despite the fact that the Bulldogs have had recent success on the blue, they haven't played particularly well at home against Boise State over the last couple of seasons either. Like last year at home, they got blown out by 20. And and granted, some of that had to do with the fact that they were playing with without Jake Hayner. 
mm-hmm. you know, so you have to do, you have to keep that in mind. But at the same time, you know, they were, I'm trying to remember what it was. Was it like two years ago that they played at home as well? Oh, the back-to-back with COVID year, maybe? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Last last year, they played on the road in the regular season and in the championship game at Boise. But two yeah, years yeah. ago, they lost that 40-14 to 14 game where, you know, the, the team was nationally ranked and they just could not put it together. And Boise State's obviously a very dangerous team in their own right. You know, plenty of talent on the offensive side of the ball with Taylor Green, Ashton Genty, and George Holani. Yeah, I, think, I think the calculus changes a little bit now that they lost Latrell Cables for the season as we're recording this on August 10th. But I, I like Fresno State's defense at this juncture just a little bit more, which is why I have that game penciled as a win as well. I think both oh. teams are likely to play them tough. I do think Fresno State will come out on both in the end. I have it as a loss this game. It's at home, which I get, but I... Because here's the thing, this last stretch, the Boise at San Jose, New Mexico at San Jose, it's pretty difficult. But I, I just I think at some point I might like Boise's offense a bit more to get a few more things done to break through. But mm-hmm. it'll be I don't think it'll be like the past couple of years where it's a blowout. It's gonna be close regardless. But I just have a lean toward Boise State on this one with maybe it's right or wrong, but think about it, they got two good running backs, Genty and Halani, quarterback setup. They need to find the mm-hmm. receivers, like the depth lies or standout talent. I think they have a, a little bit too much on offense, even though I don't think it'll be a high scoring game. It might be something 28 20, something like that, kind of clo- closest, maybe 30 if you're lucky, because both defenses will be really good. But I mm-hmm. just kind of maybe trust it, Boise offense a little bit more because of what they have coming back. And what about their final two road games? Because we both have them winning to Mexico, right? Beating the Lobos at home. Yes. So what about because these road games are tough? Northern Cal going to Northern California, Southern California, San Jose State, San Diego State. I'm gonna. Have I think we're gonna beat both of them. I do, but those are still very not easy games, right? They're not gonna walk in and beat San Jose State just because. No, but I think the difference between this year's San Jose State team and last year's San Jose State team is that you know they they managed to put the brakes on Siobhan Cordero and company last year. And this year, Spartans also don't have Viliami Fajoko and Kate Hall. It's true. Those are those key defenders. San Diego State, I'm I'm not quite sure what to make of the offense. I do think it'll be better, but I think it is likely to be erratic in the same way that it was, even as Jalen Maiden took over that quarterback role in the second half of last year. That, I think, is likely to make the difference in that particular game. Yeah, it'll be the end of the year, so we know what they have. But like again, going into the year, the top couple of receivers are gone. Running back has been inconsistent, and not or at least not up to ask to sustain it for a couple of years. Defense will be fine. Um, but I, it's, I got to win as well. I just it'll be tough. And if Maiden is good as I think he could be, he could be one of the surprise quarterbacks. I wonder what talent is around him and what Brian Lindley will allow him to do, or maybe it's what Brady Hoke will allow Brian Lindley to do to allow Jalen Maiden to be successful in this offense. I think that'll come a lot down to San Diego State if they open up a, just a little bit. That might be a key for them to be better, but I don't think they could beat Fresno State. Oil Cane's going to stay up in, up in Central California. Mm-hmm. Um, I have them seven to one conference play, eleven to one overall. Uh, what was the one loss again? Boise State at home. I have them eleven and one as well, seven and one in conference with the lone with the lone loss on the road at Wyoming. Oh my goodness! 
I don't feel good about it, but I think they can do it. Like I'm not not to say I'm not confident in them, but it just seems going through game by game. I'm like, oh yeah, they got this, they got this. If they were playing Boise State's schedule or if they were playing Wyoming's schedule, I think they'd be a lot closer to an eight or nine win team. Oh yeah. Because Wyoming, I think, I have seven I think five. they got they they got their pair of power five opponents at like just the right level. Yeah, where I do row, think but... that I do think that there's the potential for both Purdue and Arizona State to be adequate. If you had to pick and, one of those two, and... which is the most likely loss? Purdue. I Me, mean, that's I agree with you. Yeah, I think Purdue travel wise, it's a bit different team, but like, and, and it's not at... to say that they won't be tested. I do think that mm-hmm. you know, even if you know past Wyoming, you know UNLV is going to be a tough test. I think because I'm I'm bullish on the Rebels and their and their chances to improve this year. Um, Boise State yeah, always be a challenge, obviously. And see, well, you know, rivals, rivalry games against San Jose State and San Diego State, you kind of throw the numbers out to some extent when those teams yeah. play, just because you never but know they, what it's quite going to be. Yeah, and they're both probably going to be both teams, those two te- matchups that are on the road. So there's a chance where if things go a little bit down, they could be 8-4, and four, which is still pretty good. Like, I could legit I see think... them lo- losing to Purdue, possibly. Maybe Arizona State, not really. I could see them will you Will you allow me a rare hot take on this podcast? Oh, you have the floor as much as you need. Go for it. I'll turn my bike off so you can just go for it. <laughs> what do you got? I believe that by year's end, this is going to be a top 25 team. Oh, that's not a hot take. That's a reasonable take. I think it's like top 15 or something. I believe that they will also be in the conversation for the FBS to bowl this year. There we go. That's what I like to hear. Them and Tulane, right? Is that what they're battling, probably? I don't know. I don't think Tulane is, is going to be quite as good as everybody else thinks they they are. We'll see. I yeah, I I I, I just think I, you know what I, I think? I think that, you know, because I'm I am a believer in like the advanced metrics and things like that. Mm-hmm. But just based on what I've seen with my own eyes over the past five or six years, especially with with Tedford at the helm. I think to a certain extent, you look past all of that and you recognize that this is a coaching staff that knows how to identify talent and develop it. Agreed. And so, yeah, yeah, they are lose. They're replacing their quarterback. They are replacing their top running back. Yeah, they're replacing a legion of wide receivers. But we've seen them figure this out before. We have seen them start from the from one of the lowest possible holes that you could possibly imagine. And they are oh, yeah. bringing in better talent than the, at this junction than they did back when they did it the first time around six years ago. If I'm a Bulldogs fan, I am buying into this team. I will say this. If they're 11-1, they're going to be the uh, representative for the group of five for New Year's Six game. At a minimum, they're going to be hosting the Mountain West Championship game on December 4th or whatever that Saturday is against a team we probably know if you listen closely but we'll discuss that at a later date yeah so anything else to add about your Fresno State Bulldogs Matt are we good to go to wrap this bad boy up uh I will I will drop the proverbial mic after my hot take I will leave it at that perfect all right mwr.com wherever you got this podcast say hey give us a couple good stars at least five a minimum five because that's the most you can give if you like what we're doing we appreciate it so we got one more preview coming up Nevada next show. If you missed any of our other shows or you'd like, whoa, I found this Fresno State thing. We have all the other ones up and loaded over at 
Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your show, podcast. So go check all those out. We will have a giant mega preview down the road, and then we'll be starting preview and recapping games like in two weeks, Matt. It's it's here. <laughs>